Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Alters and Oilt. Coming to you this morning from the corner of the lounge room in our pajamas. <laughs> Early recording today. Early recording. Not that it matters to you guys because you can listen to this whenever you want, pretty much. I was kind enough to uh, do this one early for me so I could uh, have the rest of the day to go to a Bucks party. <laughs> Someone's popular. Yeah, I am popular. <laughs> <laughs> My third, third Bucks party in like a month. Jesus oh. Christ. Oh, never the groom, though. Never the groom. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that kind of up to you? <laughs> yeah, all right. <laughs> like, no, no, no. It's 2021. Well, it's... Someone else could propose to me. To me. This is true. Or you make it more more realistic. I am a catch. Anyway. Yeah. Yep. How's, how's your week, week been oil? Um busy. Really busy, really good. Um, yeah, a lot of good stuff happening. How's the show coming along? Really good actually. So the presentation's pretty much almost complete. I've got posters now, I've created QR readers, I've got um got a meeting on tuesday for some sponsorship so nice yeah um very busy week well fuck the zuck is getting some traction good stuff yeah so keep your eyes out uh victorian people um hopefully i'm planning i'll say what i'm planning and it won't go to plan as as it does hmm. or maybe I'll, maybe I'll, I'll just keep that under wraps for now still just keep your eyes out no, yeah. no, keep an eye out on um, Oyalt's t- Twitter and on um, Oyalt's website. No secrets <laughs> revealed. <laughs> um, this week, we are looking at some recent news with Matthias Coleman, the former finance minister for Australia, the culminator, um, at getting the top job at the OECD, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development. Yeah. Um, yes, so there's... we are. There's not a whole lot for us to define like we normally would with this one. So I'll just explain a little bit about Matthias Corman and then um, Oil will explain a little bit about the OECD and then we'll jump right into our articles. Let's do it. So the culminator, he was the former finance minister from 2013 to the end of 2020. Um, he was actually, I believe, the longest serving finance minister in Australian politics. Um, and he's been heavily involved in the last budget and probably the most consistent and you know stable, important financial part of the government. Um, while he's been the finance minister, um, there have been three different treasurers, Joe Hockey, Scott Morrison, who was a treasurer before getting the top job, and now Josh Frydenberg. Jeez, isn't that the A-list right there? Yeah, if you, can, if you go through... <laughs> There'll be more on Joe Hockey later in my article, but if you go through that, um, the cabinet over the last seven years, there's not a whole lot of consistency there anymore. <laughs> so what the Minister for Finance does, they're responsible for monitoring government expenditure um, and general financial management. Essentially, he's the one ministers have to justify spending to, um, which is ironic given his recent sort of jet-setting around Europe while campaigning for this position. Um, which could be, you know, looked at as a misuse of taxpayer dollars, but we'll go into that later on. It could also be looked at as an investment. Mm, very interesting. That's a brief summary of uh, Matthias. What is this, like, it's like a, some sort of philosophical version of politics? You know, it could be an investment or it could be a waste of money. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like some mystical... <laughs> 
sort of it depends how you interpret the balance sheet. Ooh. <laughs> Sorry. Schrodinger's investment it could be a waste or it could be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Find out when I'm retired and getting my huge pension. <laughs> Suckers. Huge. Um, now, the OECD. So that's an organization for economic cooperation and development. It is an intergovernmental economic organization with 37 member countries founded in 1961, the year my dad was born, uh, to stimulate economic progress and world trade. It is a forum of countries describing themselves as committed to democracy and the market economy, providing a platform to compare policy experiences, seek answers to common problems, identify good practices, and coordinate domestic and international uh, policies of its members. Now, just on that note, we're getting in trouble recently, aren't we? I was skimmed over some articles saying like the UK is like not happy with our... Um, climate change commitments or something like that? Have you heard anything about that at all? Well, I know a lot of people aren't happy um, with Australia's climate change commitments for a lot of different reasons. Um, <laughs> and it, an almost sort of disingenuous um, uh, commitment to getting to zero emissions by 2050 that came about very quickly after a long period of not committing to it. Um, I haven't heard anything specific about what you're talking about, though. Oh, I think someone was having a go at Scott Morrison from the UK. I didn't. I, I did, this was just a. Oh, is this the um? Is this you do a do few weeks ago? Boris Boris Johnson not inviting no, him to talk about that thing or something no, else. No, it was some other guy. It looked more professional than Boris Johnson. Had like a a, a, a suit that was yeah, and a suit that like f was fitted. Um, now just as well, I just wanted to. I'm gonna. I found another little secret nugget that I thought I would just throw back in there. It's back to the real estate episode. I'm just gonna just gonna dangle that that carrot out there. Um, this is just a headline I found. Um, it was from news.com, and it was heartbreaking. Sydney family saved a hundred k, but are totally priced out of the property market. So this is like a family I think in their late thirties or mid thirties, and they still can't get. A property with a deposit of a hundred k. How crazy is that? Hundred k as a twenty percent deposit. It's only a five hundred thousand dollar house. There's not that many of those in, in mm. Sydney. Yeah, because well, yeah, fuck Sydney. The the median um, price for a house is like you know eight hundred and ninety grand. The average price is higher than that. <laughs> that's crazy. You know what would be really cool though if they like were smart about it and they got some like really nice house out in the countryside. And then got some nice work from home jobs, and then like the market flipped, and then those houses became really, um, but more like more valuable. Not financial advice may not happen, but uh, that'd be kind of nice little happy ending for them. Yeah, the universe does not work that way. It's not... <laughs> Sorry, no, mate. Karma does mystic. not work on ifs and buts. <laughs> Maybe if I do, there's, oh, there's going to be one lucky guy out there, just everything he does, or she does. We, we, we went over this last just, week, Elon Musk, everything he does just yeah. turns to gold. He just yeah. sort of stumbles his way through and it's worked out really well. Yeah, yeah this, this is true. This is true. 
It is not. Right. <laughs> um, now, shall I go through my article first, or do you want to do your double whammy articles? Nah, you may as well go first because yours is first on the uh, on the sheet, and I can't be bothered scrolling down at the moment. I'm still waking up. All right, fair enough. I just had coffee. I'm a, I'm a little bit a bit buzzy, and I don't have an artist shout out this week. Do you at all? Uh, not really. No. All right, go to Spotify. Press shuffle. There's your there's your artist for the week. Um, don't do it while listening to the podcast. <laughs> Well, I mean, if you can focus on two things at once and you can run one off a computer and one off a phone, sure, why not? Yeah, all right. Yeah, fair enough. Got me there. Consume. So this is a little article I found from The Mandarin, um, and it was published Monday, the 15th of March, 2020, and it is by Sharon... 2021, sorry. 2021. It's early morning. Uh, Shannon Jenkins, and Shannon is a journalist at the mandarin that's uh, based in melbourne so let's have a look what she has to say always nice to get a bit of diversity in our sources i've not done much with the mandarin no me either i just discovered them and i was like hey this is kind of nice little article these guys are pretty cool take that boom um so new oecd head matthias 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 calling the culminator the culminator the culminator. Uh, thanks, DFAT team, for support. Oh, maybe I should have defined DA, DFAT team. DFAT. Oh, yeah, what's DFAT? Uh, Department for. <laughs> I can't remember. What is DFAT? I'm not too sure. We've failed you, ladies and gentlemen, with our research. Oh, Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Did you say Department? <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah, right, maybe I did. All right. So, um, Matthias Coleman has been named Secretary General of the Organisation for Economic and Cooperation and Development. I hate all these bloody Secretary General titles and all these different titles. I swear to God, they just want to pump extra money into certain areas and they're like oh we need to have a justification for this extra money oh we'll just make up another position and that's how new positions just emerge their um, ugly heads excuse me Oil, but there is a employment crisis going on in the world with this pandemic so i think any random fake jobs we can create if that's how you do it that's fine you gotta make jobs yeah. for people okay well they should yeah, have a vice think... a vice secretary secretary general we have a supreme <laughs> chancellor of the Senate. We should have an emperor, emperor of the Galactic Empire. Welcome to McDonald's. You're speaking to Empire Big Mac. How can I take your order? Would you like our new Strikes Back burger? <laughs> May the sauce be with you. Yeah, that was, pretty, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Is that coffee? You should have a coffee every episode. No. All right. So the, uh, no, I have tea normally, remember? You make them for me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The former minister, finance minister, said he learned of the appointment on Saturday and felt privileged and honoured to take the top job. I don't know how loud I'm talking. I'm just waiting for someone else in the house to come out and be like, what are you doing? And interrupt the podcast. Um, Just like spring quietly into the phone and your partner's (laughs) asleep. I got bloody noise-cancelling headphones on 
so <laughs> I can't hear my own voice. Um, now, let's have a look. Uh, this is himself talking here. It brings together like-minded countries from around the world committed to developing and delivering better policies for better lives, he said in a statement. Uh, this provides a great platform for international cooperation and best practice policy development from the foundation of a shared commitment to democracy, human rights, the rule of law, market-based economic principles, and a rules-based international order. The issues and the specific policy challenges the world faces evolve over time, but the OECD's uh, capacity to find solutions and better ways forward has stood the test of time. He thanked Prime Minister Scott Morrison and a number of his former colleagues for their support, as well as the hardworking team at the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. Ah, oh, there we go. DFAT, Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade. That's In Canberra. There we go in Canberra and around the world who have done an outstanding job in supporting my campaign. Boom. All these bloody organisations as well. We've got like the UN and then you got these guys now. And right, so you got two. All right, keep going. Uh, Amnesty International. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of things with the international in the title. The Olympics. <laughs> On the, uh, the International uh, Cricket Committee. The ICC. There you go. Yeah. Um, I just wonder, are they like, do they do anything? Do they? Well, are they just gathering in offices saying, you didn't do this, you didn't agree to that. Oh, we'll agree to this, we'll agree to that. And no one actually does what they're saying and they I suppose just shuffle the, paper around. With the, um, with the OECD, I, I know they have done stuff. I can't tell you what any of it is, but I think their primary thing is, um, um, it's providing an outlet for governments uh, from different countries to work and find solutions to um, things. So they're almost like a medium in which people can um, negotiate and work through things together. Um, okay. So it's not as if they're going out there like building bridges or, you know, doing things like that all the time. And that's their primary thing. But they do do actual things. No, I imagine they do. You I know, like that, uh, that real solid, concise answer. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. I imagine they do good. things. Yeah. <laughs> um, th we do things, all right? This is their slogan. <laughs> the OECD, we do things. <laughs> now, oh, I, I just I just looked at my um mic and I thought I had it on mute for a second. And I was like, <laughs> no. All good. All good, all right. So it was important for the organisation to keep the momentum going to achieve uh, a number of goals, Coleman said, including driving global leadership on ambitious and effective action on climate change to achieve global net zero emissions by 2050. What do you think about 2050? Is that too far away? I think we've got to go, we've got to go harder. I mean, yeah, South, South Australia over the last, um, what was I saying? Um, over the last 20 years, it's become 100% renewable. Like, Do you know they had to turn people's solar off the other day? Because it was going to blow up the grid, man. Yeah, too much power. Too much power from the sun. The power of the sun in the palm of my hands every time it comes back to dog <laughs> Um So if they, could, if they could do that with realistically, like, states' um, budget and planning, why couldn't other countries, like, why couldn't, 
developed nations do it quicker and Ooh. then support those undeveloped nations. I'm just saying we could do it faster in, if we wanted. We could accomplish anything if we wanted. In my crazy world or imagination, I think Africa is going to be a big contender for um, like future cities because they're underdeveloped now, right? But they're getting developed. Not all parts of Africa are underdeveloped. Some parts are pretty pretty good. Um, but they're getting developed. So that when they're getting developed, they're getting they're not getting developed to the the standards of you know a hundred years ago, fifty years ago, when the first world cities of today were you know getting built up. Mm. So they're getting developed with like renewals in mind. They're getting built up. Um, so I think there's going to be some good. Um, first world nations or cities over in Africa that will be popping up. I have um, um I have heard similar things about Africa for a, a couple of reasons. In that one, um, China's sort of getting mm. to this stage where they're no longer in a population boom. Um, people aren't wanting to have lots of kids there. Have got that one child or things like that. Whereas in Africa, the population is still booming. So. Will manufacturing move over there the way it did for China a while back? And that sort of starts an economic sort of renaissance, if you will. Interesting. I think they got rid of the one-child rule now as well. Oh, did they? Losers. I think so. I was scuba diving once and I was teaching four Chinese girls. Uh, That was a weird experience because, like, two of them couldn't speak English, so they just, like, translated everything for the other two. And... um, they were just talking to me. They're like, oh, so do you have any siblings? I'm like, yeah, I've got two. And I was like, what about you guys? And I was like, oh, wait, no, no, don't say that. <laughs> um, and then they all kind of looked at each other like, <laughs> looked at each other. And then one of them just kind of like cut in and was like, yeah, I've got one. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, nice, very good. The other one stands up, pulls out, pulls out a badge. <laughs> I knew it. You are under arrest. <laughs> Take up the No, just <laughs> What's the Chinese government? The CCP. Need another C in there. CCCP. Yeah. Just come out of the water. Scoop <laughs> dive equipment and take her away. Get him out. Get him out. <laughs> uh, okay. Back back to work. Um, uh, earlier this month, the heads of a dozen of Australian and international organisations, including Greenpeace and Oxfam. See, I could have... Though in my own article, I could have just pulled up more organisations right there. Um, signed a letter calling on the OECD member countries to reject Coleman as one of the two final candidates. Final two candidates. I'm just putting the words wherever I want. On the basis of Mr. Coleman's public record of the participation in thwarting effective climate action, we do not believe he is a suitable candidate for the Secretary General of the OECD and urge you to not select him for this critically important position, the letter said. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. The letter noted that during Coleman's time as financial minister from 2013 to 2020, the federal government has uh, persistently failed to take effective action to reduce emissions at home and have consistently acted as a blocker with international forums. The organisation pointed out that i've lost my page because i clicked a button you fool the organization pointed to government decisions Uh, thank you as uh 
abolishing the carbon pricing scheme in 2014 and failing to commit to zero net emissions target. Yeah, see, that's all, that's all. Oh, sorry. Sorry, that, my bad. Um, that's, anyway. that's all. That's all well and good attacking climate change. I'm all for that, but I mean, this is primarily an economic body. You've got to attack them to something on on something that they um they value, like um, you know, what was his record like as finance minister, or what was Australia's finances like during his because granted, it's not entirely on him. The treasurer is involved as well. Yes, attack him on the money, the money. Well, on on what the OECD um, board would value. Yeah, no, that's that's a fair point. People oh, never um, debated. Yeah, sorry, go on. <laughs> debate no, is important. It's, it's it's just all their friends in their clubs, and they're just shuffling everyone around. Can I be treasurer now? Fine. <laughs> um. Okay. I think I was up to other key challenges that Coleman listed. Yeah, before I interrupted you, sorry. Perfect. That's all right. Uh, related to the post-pandemic economic recovery, digital taxation, digital taxation, hmm, the digital economy and the OECD outreach in the Asia-Pacific. Now, as the world continues uh, to grapple with the impact of the most serious pandemic in more than a century, our essential mission of the past to promote stronger, cleaner, fairer economic growth and to raise employment and living standards remains the critically important mission for the future, he said. Uh, Morrison said he was delighted by the appointment, which was the most senior appointment of an Australian candidate to an international body for decades. Decades. Yeah, that's that sounds more concerning than anything. We haven't been doing anything for decades. Our standing in the international community is concerning. Yeah, that's that's what hmm. I meant. Um, <laughs> I'm just getting like images of the Simpsons episode of the Prime Minister in the in the waterhole in the drinking a beer <laughs> in the floaty. Hey, Boy, that's... Prime Minister. <laughs> Boy, that's what's a good word. <laughs> Um, <laughs> it's just a little kick. Uh, if oh, it's <laughs> just a little kick up the bum. <laughs> um, I would have called them shazwoggers. The appointment in uh, the appointment is recognition of Australia's global global agency and the standing amongst federal liberal democracies and our practical commitment and contribution to multilateral cooperation. Jesus Christ! And he said in the statement on Saturday, "I, I got through it. I got through it. There was no stuttering, no nothing." Hmm. Um, for 60 years, the OECD has been one of the world's most important international economic institutions. As the global economy recovers from COVID-19, the OECD's role in shaping international economic tax and climate change policy will be critical, well, sorry, more critical than ever. Corman replaces the outgoing Secretary-General uh, Angle. Yeah, okay. Uh, who has served the who served in the role for fifteen years? Damn! So you get in that position, you you're pretty. Sounds like you're pretty uh, stuck in there. Well, I mean, uh, it's um, it's more that it's like a five year appointment, but generally they run longer. Yeah, there you go. He retired from the ministry and the Senate in October to pursue the top OECD role. 
beating Sweden's Cecilia Maelstrom. <laughs> That's a cool name. That's a good name. That is, she should make a heavy metal band if she doesn't have one already. I think you could metal it up a bit more by changing Cecilia. What's like a more yeah. metal, metal first name? Um, Gloria. So then it sounds like Glorious Maelstrom. I don't know. That's not, uh, that's not bad. That's what, Aretha. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Aretha Maelstrom. Very cool. All um, right. So nice. Good, <laughs> good summary article of the situation. Then my, my mind just started going through, like, elements of the periodic table. Neon ma- Maelstrom. Gold. Ne- platinum. <sighs> Neon Maelstrom. Yeah. That'd be more like a DJ, like, and then yeah, just before the light yeah. show comes on, it's like here comes the mouse drama. And then it's just all these flashing, flashing neon lights, and everyone all, the, all these epileptic lights. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I could get behind that. All right, all right let's make it happen. Let's ditch the uh, podcast and let's do a DJ set. There's a uh, there's a there's a there's a hole in the market. Um, Daft Punk's gone. We got to fill it. Yeah, that's true. That is true. Any prospective or up-and-coming DJs out there listening, now is your time. Seize the seize the moment. Seize the day. Put a mask on and get to work. There's a, there's a few um, maskies out there, uh, performers. What's his name? Dead um, Mouse 5? Dead Mouse, yeah. Um, Marshmallow. Um, I'm sure there's others I can't think of at the moment. And the rest. <laughs> yeah, and all the other Love ones. Punk. That- Dead mouse, marshmallow, and the rest. <laughs> I'm sure there's more. All right, now. Yes. Yeah. All right. So that was my little intro article. And uh, Alters, he's got a, a special treat for us today. That actually probably works um, quite well, the article that you've chosen there, because it summarizes things very well. Because um, what I've done today, I've actually got two articles now. You're not going to have to listen to me for two full articles. Um, what I'm going to do <laughs> is I'm going to just sort of briefly summarize each one and do a comparison between them. So the first article is from uh, independentaustralia.net. It's entitled, Matthias Corman would be a disaster for the OECD. And it was written by John Wren on the 28th of November, 2020. Uh, and the other one is from the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, entitled Critics Laughed When Corman Chased the Top OECD Job, but They Underestimated Him. And that's by Bevan Shields uh, on the 13th of March this year. Bevan. So let's start with the independent article. So um, the independent article is what I would call a hit piece, really goes after the Cormanator pretty hard, whereas the Sydney Morning Herald article is a puff piece, really sort of, builds him up a bit. So I thought it would be interesting to compare the differences between these two and how um, one set of events or one uh, news event has got so many different sort of um, uh, different viewpoints on it. Yeah, nice. Compare the pair. Compare the pair, yeah. No escalators here, though. No no cheap uh... metaphors. This is all (laughs) facts-based. So cheap metaphors, maybe from me. You're not cheap. Oh, thank you. Um, 
So the independent article opens up in slamming the use of taxpayer money to jet around Europe to campaign for the position, but it says it'll go on to that later on. So I think it just gets people hooked straight away with a scandal there. Um, uh, so the article, it then goes um, and it attacks him straight away. First off, there would not be many people less suited for the position. His political career as a senator in Australia is a CV littered in failure. Um, so they just, um, what they mean by that is he got elected on the WA um, Liberal docket without having to campaign in his own rights. That'd be pretty hard to do uh, now, get the elected on the WA Liberal <sighs> docket, wouldn't it? <laughs> well, I mean, that was on a state level, but I wonder how much that's going to transfer across to um, a federal level. Federal, it's very interesting. Yeah. For anyone, for anyone not in the know, like, geez, you don't know this, you've got to lift your game. So the <laughs> Labor, um, WA Labor, obliterated uh, the coalition in the recent state election. What was it, 55 seats to six or something? Two? So two Liberal seats and, like, four National seats. I think, uh, yeah. So that means, like, the Nationals are now the opposition, doesn't it? I mean, technically, yes. Yeah, because you know, so... four is bigger than two. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Um, so then the article details his history in politics um, and his time as the finance minister from 2013 to 2020. So this section is about attacking his ability. We'll get to a section later on that attacks his um, uh, what's it called his trust, his character. Um, okay. So it states. All six budgets he was a part of were failures in either public acceptance, neoliberal ideology, or fiscal rectitude, or combinations of those elements. Coleman's two most glaring budget failures were his first and last. His first, the Hockey and Coleman 2014 budget, was so drastic, so unpopular, it ultimately led to the resignation of Hockey and the downfall of his then Prime Minister, Tony Abbott. That particular budget also included the pro-coal ideological vandalism, that was the removal of the Gillard government's um, carbon emission trading scheme, the erroneously named carbon tax. Um, so everyone remembers Joe Hockey smoking that big cigar after his first budget um, celebrating, but not everyone remembers that his smoking buddy was the culminator. Mm. That's, uh, that's Joe Hockey's sort of lasting image to bear. Um, so... The reason it goes after Coleman so hard with this one, he's been the most consistent financial budgetary influence in Australian politics over that time. Um, so uh, he's a large part of our inaction in climate change and also in investing in the future. So any issues that you've got with um, our fiscal policy over the last seven years, he's a large part of those. So now he's expected to reverse that ideology if he becomes head of the OECD, under Coleman, Australia has become one of the worst climate criminals in the world. So from there, it also links to another article showing um, our debt under the Liberal government um, that it began increasing in 2014, and it um, continued to increase for the next six years um, without us seeing any of those real benefits that we talked about, climate investment in the future, things like that. So debt under Labor, when they left office, was um, $161 billion, uh, and it's now... This might be all the articles a little bit old. 164 yeah. billion. Yeah, so, it's definitely way more than that now with all the um, yeah stimuluses um, and stuff. So most data in that analysis is from the monthly finance department reports and the weekly gross debt updates from the Office of Financial Management. So it's 
based on government figures. So it's a reputable but source that they're getting that from. You also forgot to mention Labor's debt, bad. Liberal debt, good. Oh, God. <laughs> they're numbers. They're not inherently good or evil. <laughs> um, so then the article goes on to... so. It's a quite a good attack piece because what it's done, it's attacked his um, his ability, and now it's going for his character. So there are some people who value empirical mm. data, and some people who uh, value a more feeling based. Um, so you're trying to cover both. They've done a lot more them. work. Hmm? They've, also, they've done a lot more work. Like hmm. very very good work. So it attacks his character by bringing up the Hello World travel scandal. Um, so that's when, um, if you don't remember, uh, Corman uh, booked flights for his family for a holiday to Singapore um, and they were paid for by a travel company that was the uh, recipient of um, some government contracts. And Hello mm. World is run by the Liberal Party treasurer uh, and Corman contacted him directly to make those bookings. And he only paid for the flights after it was reported in the media. Um, and he said it was because the company hadn't sent him a reminder notice, otherwise he would have paid them. I just got this imagery of him on, like, the internet trying to book these flights and he's just having all this trouble. And then he's like, oh, that's it. I'm just going to call him. I know. <laughs> it, would be, it would be more like, no, that is it. I'm just going to call him. <laughs> Hello, Sarah Connor. Your website. It's ridiculous. Give me the tickets. So, uh, the article states, we'll probably never know how many other cases went undetected. All this makes Coleman grossly unsuited for the OECD Secretary General role. It also suggests he is fundamentally unsuited for any public office in general. Why the Labor Party has backed Coleman's bid for the role is a mystery. Um, so, uh, so this um, bid for the position has actually been widely supported by Labor. They weren't for the jet-setting around part, um, but it's been a relatively bipartisan effort to get him elected. Um, so then the article finishes off um, by theorising why Corman is being backed so heavily by the um, the government at the moment um, and suggesting it's because he knows damaging information about the Liberal Party and they're trying to buy his silence. So then they sort of, mm. they've spent the first part of the article um, undermining Corman and attacking him, but now they're associating um, the current government with him and... Um, drawing comparisons there. So it's, it's a, they've expanded their attack range. So after Corman's seven years in finance, his support of Peter Dutt in the leadership's bill that brought Morrison to power, he knows where Morrison's multitude of bodies are buried. As finance minister, Corman was responsible for the likely unlawful robo-debt abomination. Is Morrison using the cover of COVID and taxpayers' funds to buy Corman's silence? And that's where the article ends. Nice. That's a, that one, that's a good one. I so enjoyed that. Compare that to the um, Sydney Morning Herald article. So this article opens up with a glowing assessment of Corman's appointment to the OECD. That the former finance minister's selection as the next Secretary General of the Paris-based organisation um, is not just a diplomatic coup for the Morrison government, but also represents the pinnacle of an extraordinary career for the 50-year-old political operator. So straight off the bat, um, independent saying his CV is littered with failures. This one's saying it's a glowing 50-year-old political career. Um, uh, then paints a rags-riches immigrant story of success and his devotion to Australia. So he rose through the Liberal Party ranks 
entered the Senate in 2007 and spent a record seven years and 42 days as finance minister, um, sort of forgetting that tenure and achievement are not the same thing. Um, but that's that's this is the picture they're trying to paint. Isn't it? The article goes on to paint an underdog picture and a sore loser vibe for his critics. Critics laughed when he quit Parliament last October to run for the top international class. They said the OECD was too good an outfit to ever consider someone like Cormann as its leader, but the further he advanced in the selection process, the more they started arguing the OECD must be worthless. So, again, um, it's <laughs> painting, painting clear good guys and bad guys, if you will. Um, you know, they're being sore losers about it. Um, they underestimate it. So sort of. So um, wait, were they saying the OC, OECD is like worthless? But now that he's gotten into the spot, they're just like, yeah, it's brilliant, brilliant. No, they were saying um, they're commenting on his critics. His critics said, no, uh, he's not. He's not good enough to run the OECD. But when he got the job, his critics are now saying, oh, well, the OECD must have gone to, gone to shit in the last couple of years shit because they haven't. Um, because of their selection of him, pretty much. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. Um, so they've sort of got a two for one there. They've um, uh, pumped him up, but then also um, painted his critics as being childish. Um, yeah. The article then goes on to trivialise the concerns of Cormans and therefore the coalition's all track record on climate change by suggesting it wasn't a concern for the OECD. So Greens leaders... So, Adam, who cares? What, who cares? What the cons- he's, he wasn't in the OECD at the time of his yeah. poor track record of... That's um, true. Um, 20 years ago, it might not have been a concern for the OECD, but now it may be. Yeah. So Greens leader Adam Bant wrote to the OECD's ambassadors, urging them to sink Coleman's campaign. Last week, a cluster of environment groups also tried to derail the appointment by publishing an open letter about the coalition's climate change policies. So that's probably that letter that you um, quoted briefly in your article. So the article then goes on to say Cormann was always trying to address climate change and align the OECD's um, objectives with the coalitions. So this is this is great. So climate change was obviously a factor in the race, but it was only, but it was not the only one weighing on the minds of the OECD's 38 member countries. So like I was saying at the start, don't attack him on climate change, attack him on economics. So that's what the um, uh, that's what the OECD's main concern is, and that's what that previous article tried to do as well. So, um, so it's saying their main concerns are the rise of China, the future of digital taxation, and the need for the organisation to tilt towards the increasingly important Asia-Pacific were also key factors. So it just happened to be those factors aligned very well with the United States and therefore the coalitions. Uh, Cormann helped neutralise the climate question by becoming an enthusiastic backer of helping the world reach net zero emissions by 2050, a position he never expressed while in government. So it's saying that he's neutralised people's concerns over his climate record because now he's backing zero emissions by 2050 and openly saying he never expressed that in government mm. and saying he always he always felt that way. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's really? just... It's very much a 1984 double think like... You know, you just need to forget what you've been told or what you know because it's got to change. So it fits this narrative. It's just why. fake news, fake news, that sort of thing. Uh, then the article paints him as like a gracious winner, 
and again trivialises the concerns around climate change uh, in the eyes of Australia and the US, and it paints um, it as a European objective, like only Europeans care about climate change. And not everyone is ready to get on board with Europe's policy approach. Just this week, John Kerry's US John Kerry, US President Joe Biden's climate czar, said he thought Europe's plan for carbon tariffs should only be implemented as a last resort. But in an interview with the Sydney Morning Herald in The Age last year, Maelstrom, the other candidate we mentioned, said she wanted to help make the scheme go global. So I think it's very interesting putting the US and Australia's needs ahead of Europe, considering we've got a combined seven... Oh, sorry, 380 million people, whereas they've got 760 million people. So should have picked Maelstrom. Look at the name. It's like, it's climate related as well. Come on. She's, she's, she's the avatar of Mother Nature trying to fix things. Yeah, that's like... Just let me fix okay. this. I mean, that's, that's how you get my vote, have a cool name. Um, and a sweet first I'm, album. I'm a, I'm a very simple man. <laughs> um, and it, it, it's a good progressive image as well, um, based on like, uh, if we go for down the, the gender equality stream as well, like um, getting more females into leader positions or into um, yeah, positions of power or, or mixing and middling in that, you know, getting rid of all the old whitey tidy men. Instead, we got another old white man. Yeah. <laughs> was that uh, that, that line from 30 Rock? Um, I liked it better when old white men had all the power instead of just most of it. <laughs> uh, the article then paints um, this is a team win for the coalition. So uh, this is a quote from um, uh, Corman, the Cormanator. Prime Minister Scott Morrison and the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade rolled out a campaign strategy that delivered results. Um, Morrison phoned... Oh, no, this isn't a quote from um, Gorman. This is the article still, sorry. Um, Morrison phoned dozens of world leaders and his ministers also lobbied their counterparts. Ambassadors in key countries met with senior officials to push the case. And Gorman himself conducted face-to-face lobbying blitz around Europe, South America, North America and Asia. Uh, the use of Royal Australian Air Force jet for some parts of the trip caused some anger uh, with some Australians and tested Labor's support for Gorman's bid. Uh, the in-person's meetings clearly made a difference. So I think I um, saw in another article that um, that jet use um, equated to about $4,000 per hour in taxpayer dollars. Jesus Christ. Yeah, private jets are expensive. Four, I mean, you got to pay for you got to pay for fuel, you got to pay a pilot. Got to get champagne, I'm assuming. They run yeah, on champagne, they probably, yeah. They probably have butlers on the in the jet as well, yeah. Very good, sir. Yeah. <laughs> Where to today, sir? Just fly around until I um get inspired. Yeah, very good, sir. <laughs> Do a couple I'll, of circles of Uluru. I'll turn on the jacuzzi. <laughs> um, and then the article finishes by saying that it's going to be probably a long-term appointment for Coleman, so it's more of an investment in um, a long-term. Um, official on an international committee with Australia's sort of needs in mind um, and paints him as a, a, um, an economic saviour for the world. So, the culminator. 
coming it I've come from the future to save the economy. <laughs> Trust me, I know what I'm doing. I Where are the do. balance sheets? Yeah, so I've I've clearly got my own opinion that he's not a great um, fiscal manager, and it's not a great appointment. But you can see how clearly two articles from two different publications with two different agendas um, can paint such a stark contrasting picture. Yes. Which is why it's important um, to have a diverse range of um, where you're getting your information from. Mm-hmm. Um, De-stabilising, oh, de- I don't know, breaking up, especially like the, the Murdoch. Um, Murdoch. Monopolies. Yeah. Monopoly sort of thing. What are they? Seventy percent of media? Oh, if you get as and I think in Queensland it's like hundred percent of hundred percent pretty much. Yeah. If, if you That's get a crazy. chance if you get a chance, watch the highlights from um uh, Kevin Rudd's um Senate um hearing into um media monopoly. It was great. Because mm. um, the, the the bench of senators asking questions is made up of independents, liberals and labor. And it's just so clear to see where people's alignments are and the liberal guys go so hard but i mean ever since kevin rudd left office he's just he just seems smarter as if the shackles are off and he can say the things he wants to say and do what he wants to do he's it's it's like they powered him up it's like he was this genie in a bottle sort of thing and then only getting stabbed in the back just made him more powerful (laughs) it's like you know Goku, when Cell's, Cell's beating up and killing all his friends, that's when he powers up. Yeah, that's he's on, he's doing some good stuff at the moment. He's got a new book out um, as well. That's how that's our artist shout out for the week. Uh, Kevin Rudd released K-Rod. a new book. Yeah, there you go. Um, did you watch the episode Friendly Geordies interviewed him? No, I didn't see that one. I've been meaning to go back. I did see his recent one of interviewing Bill Shorten, and that was good. Okay, so probably eight months ago, I think K. Rudd was on the um, the old Friendly Geordies uh, YouTube channel, and um, he gave him a um, Warhammer figurine. Did the same with Bill Shorten. Yeah, nice. But then um, K. Rudd's playing with the figurine, and I think he got asked a prompt or a question, and then he's just pointing the gun and saying people's names. So he's just like. <laughs> Rupert Murdoch, <laughs> pointing the gun. <laughs> I just thought it was, it was funny. <laughs> uh, okay, Rod, we miss you, Carrot. He can probably do more in the what's it called the private world now, more good in the private world than he can as a government. Probably, I think that's why we get a lot of duds in politics, um, because smart people or smarter people go, actually, I can do better work or you know, more meaningful work outside the system. But then those um, those duds in politics get favours and end up in those positions. Yeah. Well, I, I was just thinking there's no one left to take those positions, so some guy just comes along, I'll do it. Yeah, I'll give it a crack. What are yeah, your qualifications? Absolutely. Do you want someone or not? Fuck. <laughs> You're the one asking me for a favour, all right? Jesus. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was a good little little comparison. I enjoyed that. I hope our listeners enjoy that. I think we've got approximately 17 listeners. All right. Um, based on my maths, which oh, is questionable. Yeah, your maths oh, has never been great. Oh, no, I, I was pretty good at maths. I was just lazy. 
Gonna, gonna. <laughs> That's best excuse I've ever heard. Um, um, oh, it looks like we got about a fifty-minute episode this week. Yeah, so we can we can fill in a bit of time for them. I was thinking, I was thinking actually, put it out there to the listeners of doing a, a poll for next week's topic. I had a few ideas. I had like a possibly uh, privacy. So I was thinking privacy, mm-hmm. uh, Australian Republic. That was two things I thought about covering. Um, maybe universal basic income. I think that's an interesting topic as well. You got any any topics? Uh, not particularly at the moment. Um, I think if that's the way you want to, it's your week to pick a topic. If you want to do a poll to do it, that sounds great. Like, yeah, just to maybe, I'm trying to get more interaction from the, the listeners. Um all 17 then, of them. Yeah, so they got something to look forward oh. to. Like, I voted for this, or I don't know. Um, and we're very happy that we have 17, or 17 of you. Um, the journey of a thousand uh, miles begins with a single step. Like, I don't know, I've just got like some, uh, my own personal feelings about these things as well. Like I used to be really for Australia being a uh, republic, and then I just stopped caring about everything. And now doing this podcast, I'm getting getting back into things and Ooh, what it's, about, it's rekindle, what about rekindle the, the flames. What about the state of unions in Australia mm, post-COVID? Yes, there we go. There we go. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, I saw an interesting article that was saying unions should go after unemployed people and help them, um, get them involved in unionising. Um, that was just the title. I didn't, didn't go too... Didn't deep dive into that one. Um, yeah, so let, let's do that. Unions, privacy, republic, and universal <laughs> basic income. I think that it's, a, it's a good time for us to look into becoming a republic. Uh, for one, don't really care for the monarchy. Um, True. For two, uh, the UK just left the EU. Uh, Scotland's looking into leaving the UK. Yeah. I just don't think there's maybe maybe we should like make our own commonwealth with Scotland and the islands. Well, that's what I'm thinking. And kick out England. I think Scotland's going to leave. Try and leave uh, England. I keep saying the UK, don't I? Try and leave England and join the EU themselves on their own. Yeah, yeah, I would. Um, Yeah, so we could do that. Like for universal basic income, I just have this feeling whichever country does that first is going to be like winning in the future. In that, if you have like the global world powers, um, because well, who doesn't like having money for one? Um, but it would be like a, a citizen. I was the way I was imagining it. It's like a citizen. Um, Broadcast. No, like token or like. A benefit of being a citizen of that company, uh, country. So it's like, hey, this is your citizen reward, and you get like, let's say, a thousand dollars a month. But um, like, you, I think you could really like, and everyone gets that regardless of their income. And then you have like tax set up, like you do it properly. It's not just you know just throwing money at people, but you could like run welfare schemes through it and things, and just make it more streamlined. I think, and it's kind of like, hey, everyone has enough to support themselves um and i think that will create it will be very 
useful in the future. I mean, I could discuss it in the episode, I guess, not give away all my ideas here, but I think it would create a lot of smart people moving to that country. So it would, you know, um, might create a bit of brain drain in other countries. I think now's the time to be talking about uh, universal income as the age of automation continues to mm. grow. Um, Especially that. That's a big one, I guess, that would come up. I wonder now if we've got some, like, significant data of how um, post-COVID, how, you know, large numbers of unemployment impact the economy and how that could be acted into a universal income and justify expenses or the best way to use that stuff. Like what having not having those extra consumers in the economy has done. So now might be a really useful time to do it. And also a lot of people argue oh, no one will work, like that's one of the arguments. If people get money, no one will work, blah, 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 blah. But um, I think COVID has proved people like working, like people like having a thing to do or there going was, to a job. There was an article from a lady, and I can't remember her name now, which is a real shame because I would like to reference the, or spruik the article, um, saying that if someone posed that question to her, um, she would say, well, no, people shouldn't have to work, but people want to work. Like no one, no one likes sitting around, not doing anything. But no one should have well, to do. work to oh, survive. I do. See, that's what I think. I have a problem with it because I just enjoy just nothing. Um, whereas it drives other people mad. So, like, I was in quarantine with my parents, and they're just sort of like, "Ah, we want to work." I think Dad picked up like four jobs. <laughs> um, just getting as many close contacts as he could. Good on you, Graham. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm just laying the around. <laughs> like, oh yeah, this is nice. Um, no, I think I just like working differently. Um, Work smarter, not harder. Cool. Yeah, that's that's how I I feel about it. Um, I'm not lazy. I just I just am a little bit. Um, haven't been the last month. I've been working my eyes off. So yeah, maybe it's just I need to find something I enjoy doing. Hmm. Um, all right, I think it's probably about time for us to sign off. Um, it's now yeah. 7.30 a.m. So mm. you're um, welcome. So, yeah, I'll run that on my Twitter feed. Uh, Privacy, Republic, uh, Universal Basic Income, and what was the one you said? Uh, oh, the State of Unions. Ah, yes, Unions. Uh, have a vote. You know what happened. You'll be the only one who will vote. You'll vote for unions. <laughs> What's wrong with unions? Do you not like you? Are you a scab? Nothing. But basically, it'll be like you <laughs> getting to, to pick two um, topics at, in a row. At and oil. Uh, what's it called? It's got five followers now. So and maybe we can get some votes mm. on that if I retweet it. I don't know. Yeah. Make sure you um, all, talk to your I'm friends and get them to follow. Well, how come, it, how come no one's voting on yours then? What do you mean no one's voting on mine? Well, you didn't get any votes last time. I don't know. I, my tweets, they're just not effective. Like, I can see how many people look at them. So I'm getting, like, you know, 500 people looking at these tweets, and it's just dead air. Maybe I'm just not cut out for the, the Twitter world. I'm not shitposting enough, probably. Yeah, you need a visual medium. You need a, you tweet stuff that other people have done that looks good. <laughs> Steal their art. Uh, speaking of Twitter, uh, everyone, please go to at... Oyalt2 and at and Oyalt. Uh, support page, recommend us to other peoples uh, and get that listener number up. 
yes, spread us like an infectious disease. Or is that is that too soon? No, that's fair. That's well, I mean, that was super effective. I think that's the new <laughs> business model to work off the COVID model. All right, I'm done. I'm out. I'm out. All right, well, thank you no all more. for your time. And no more. Stay safe right. and stay informed. <laughs> Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm back. One more quip. No, I'm out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. All right. That's, we're done. I'm, I'm pressing stop record. <laughs> <laughs>